Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Well, guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a little bit of this... Then you've come to the right place. Welcome home! On today's show, we're going to be talking about how there may not be an I in team, but there's an us in Jesus. No, not not exactly. (laughs) We're going to be talking about in the shadows of Easter, uh, where and who are those people that are Jesus to you in your life? Uh, Because too often do we get caught up in these huge religious high holiday days and forget about the beauty of of God showing up in the everyday nitty-grittiness of life. Now that, that, that (laughs) was a long opening. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there and we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. If you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe, and if you're feeling generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts too. It helps get the word out to listeners. And if you want to interact more with the show, you can find me uh, over on the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. You can drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline if you want to leave a message. That'll probably end up in the air. The number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. So how's everybody doing post-Easter? Was it good? Was it bad? Did you survive? Did you thrive? What was it like? How was your Easter? I hope you're all doing well. And I figured, I figured there's no better way to kick off the show and and than this. I, I really believe I come to you with a song in my heart and also one that will give you a taste of where we're going today on this show. So without further ado, more of me. <coughs> all right. Here we go. Lunacy. This is shit lunacy. It's not about Jesus. This Easter service is about you and you and you and you. So yes, here we are post-Easter. Post-Easter. We've gone from being obsessed with the resurrection to moving on. We got more stuff to do in the church calendar, right? Right? Back it up, Jesus. We've got more to talk about. No, 
But we're in this place where, where we've just really been wrestling through and talking about and dwelling on this, the whole death and resurrection of Christ. I figured that we should probably start off the show in a somewhat centered place. And to get to a centered place, I feel like we need a good centering voice. And there's no better centering voice than that of Rachel Held Evans. So let us listen to her words. It's just death and resurrection over and over again, day after day, as God reaches down into our deepest graves and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, rests us from our pride, our apathy, our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, and our despair. As I said earlier, we're going to be doing some deep diving into what does it look like to be Jesus in people's lives? What does it look like to have Jesus show up? But before we get to that, we've got to do the absolute antithesis. We talked about, oh, God wrestling away our pride, apathy, fear, prejudice, anger, hurt, despair. <laughs> That's true. We're going to do that. But let's do the opposite. Let's descend into the worst of Christianity, the choicest cusp of the Christian nuts, the ones that are so full of pride, so lacking in apathy, full of fear-mongering, Full of prejudice, full of, full of anger, full of themselves. Yes, the worst that Christianity has to offer us. Because, hey, if we're going to make something beautiful in the end, let's start off with the uglies. So let's swipe left on the Christian right. Here we go with the Christian crazy. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. <laughs> I'm here to warn you of something, of impending doom. The mainly impending part of the doom is that there's a lot to talk about on the show today, so we're really only going to get the craziest of the crazy. And if you hang around after the credits and the end, I'll throw in a few more, just for funsies. Hey, it's like the long-lost Easter egg that you find like in May in the yard, and like, eh, I think it's fine. I could eat it. <laughs> yeah, that kind of a thing. So let's go ahead and hop into the worst, the worst, the best of the worst. And when you say the best of the worst, it doesn't get better than the Christian prophets, the so-called Christian prophets that are kind of still stuck on prophesying about an election that mm, didn't. Okay, they were wrong. They don't want to say they're wrong, but they ha wrong. Yeah, they are. And this one, in his debut, isn't he adorable? Nathan French is going to tell us, like, it's it's never good when the prophet's like, yeah, like, uh, Trump's going to be an offense, and where are we at now? Like, uh, January, February, April, March. Oh, yeah, what's ever down the line? Nathan's going to tell us Trump's going to be back soon, but come on. We just got to wait. Just got to wait. Just got to wait until you forget to ask me about this prophecy again. It's not over. He's about to lay it bare January, February, March. I think we're going to find out in April. I think everything's going to change. I see a shift coming. I, I feel like the people are waiting to see when is the God of justice going to step in. You're already seeing some of the things, you know, on the news. And I don't want to get into too much of that because there are certain things I, I can't really say. There's a lot of stuff I, I know that certain things are timed. You know, like I know that like talking about like the way he's talking here, like with his Canadianness, is like kind of low hanging fruit, you know. And uh, yeah, like I don't know, you know, how is it going to go, you know? And, you know, it's going to be there's some things that, you know, don't let me like talk about like the time frames, you know, and I, I you know. I don't know, like, how about this is going to happen, but, you know, a boot, how, I don't know, you know, you know, you know, you know. Sorry, I feel like we just condensed Fargo into about 30 seconds of nothingness. But, hey, it's the friggin' Christian crazy, so this is par for the course. Well, I know I've just been whetting your appetite towards the craziness, and it's hard for me to tell you that, really, there's only two fine choice cuts left on the front side of this you hang around maybe at the end of the show after terrestrial broadcast 
when we continue on podcast, maybe you'll hear more Kristen crazy. I don't know. You, you will. You will. You will. See, I'm not one of these kind of gaslighters that tease and don't deliver. But, you know, you know, you know, you know, it's in my head now. Ah, what am I about to do? Mm. All right. Sorry. <laughs> let me, let me cleanse, let me cleanse that out of my system. Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons. <clears throat> I feel American again. Wonderful. I can talk with a normal accent. All right. One of our favorites from the Christian crazy. He's one of the greats. He is one that just, he's so wonderful that he just asks to be mocked endlessly in the Christian crazy. Mainly because Hank Kuhneman got it wrong. And ever after Hank Kuhneman got it wrong, he kept doubling down. Because somehow, like in mainstream Christianity, doubling down is really what pastors do. Something bad happens, we double down. We lie about it. We just keep going. But yeah, Hank is special. Hank is just having a hard time letting this go because he's angry. The people are making fun of him in situations like this in the Christian crazy. What we cannot do is, is try to, you know, uh, quit, give up, point the finger, and then begin to think, well, you know what, all of this was just a smokescreen. No, that's what the enemy wants. Because it's a sad day if all of God's messengers, prophets, intercessors, Christians were somehow wrong, and, and the fake news that we know have been fake news were the voice of truth. I don't think so. So weirdly, 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 I'm going to give Hank a little bit of bonus points here. Maybe Hank is kind of like almost prophesying, but he, like he doesn't want to. Like he's kind of like trying to hold it in, but he's like, mm -hmm, I hopefully won't shart. I hopefully won't do like my prophetic shart here. <laughs> yeah, that one. Hank's like, well, what? The mainstream media can't get it right because how is it that all prophets are wrong? <laughs> well... Profits are only as good as their profits when it comes to making money. Sorry, Hank, it's just your way. It's just your way. You only know how to lie and rip people off and gaslight people. It's what you do. It's your brand. Why am I calling you out? Mm, I don't know. Because I don't want you to swindle people and continue to lie to people. But now, 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 here just in time for Easter is Hank's get off my lawn moment. He goes, he goes full on Clint Eastwood and is just like spiritual Gran Torino, which is probably a combination you never expected to hear. You're welcome. Be a snarky faith. Hey, Hank, tell us how we should get off your lawn. There's two things the scripture is, is, very determined about God. You don't attack the prophets. Psalm 105, touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. Now that's not a prophetic, you know, a prophets, you know, that's just their, their, you know, handicap or their excuse. No, that God said So that. by your rules, as long as I don't touch you, I can call you a fucking charlatan and a completely disgrace to the faith. A person that is only consumed with himself and probably more like the hell that you preach against is what you bring about on earth to the people that you speak to, you son of a bitch. Does that about cover? Because no hands were laid on you, but you know, true. And the second thing you don't do, which they've done, is you don't touch the children. So ladies and gentlemen, this is what we call here a pivot. He had no answer for the fact that he was dead wrong. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. So instead, he pivots to call out other people, not like the prophets that are lying. No, he just got to make up other kind of conspiracy theory bullshit because he traffics in bullshit. Because apparently bullshit is Hank Kuhneman's spiritual gift. Jesus said if you touch the children, and they've done it, through trafficking yes. and other things, he said it would be better that a millstone be tied around your head then you cause one of these children to stumble. And there has been some very evil, dark, disgusting stuff happening on your show on a regular basis for your profit, your benefit, and having nothing to do 
whatsoever with the gospel of Christ. So let's now move on to something more edifying. Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Well, guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. Faith Street helps you and your staff spend less time with social media and communications and rely less on Facebook and the weekly email newsletter. It's different from apps you may have seen before because people actually use it and it focuses on substance over style. It's basically the anti-big box Christian community app. Help your people live life together, rally in prayer, participate more consistently, mature spiritually, and give generously. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. So I had an idea that I wanted to wrestle through today with all of you. It was, it's something that that's, that's, that's incredibly complicated, but, but as we kind of like reflect back on, on, the whole Holy Week and Easter and and continuing to walk this out. I I wanted to have I wanted to have like one of those reframing conversations because this has been something that I've been wrestling through in in my own head. Because oftentimes when we approach holidays like Easter or high holy days like this, it ends up being this especially in the life of a church, I, I can think of for the many years I I'd, I had worked in them, this was, you know, this was like the Super Bowl. Everything like is rushing up. There, there's, there's so much effort and work in the weeks moving up towards Easter. It's this huge, huge deal. Then a, at a crescendo, you have your Easter services. And now what? Well, in the church calendar, it means we need to also begin to think about the time where Jesus went and made VBS. Because that's the next on the calendar. No, no. But I, I think too often when we ponder and wrestle through and we even reflect on Easter, we miss the big damn point of Easter. We miss it. We miss all of it. Because to look at Easter, to look at that resurrection, to look at kind of what, what that can speak to us, meaning I, I oftentimes see it as a big reset. Easter as kind of a reset where, where we begin to see new life moving in. I liken it's also like how we're near spring, uh, where we live here in the western, <laughs> the northern hemisphere, not the western hemisphere. The northern hemisphere, we have spring happening, and and for me, being outside begins to make my soul feel better. Over the past couple of weeks, being able to just be out in my yard and like ripping out old things and putting in new things and planting and cultivating and bringing life and watching kind of the the beauty of life just kind of spring up around me. I've, I've really begun just contemplating Easter and, and it, what its ramifications are for us on a deeper way. So I want us to begin to move beyond thinking of Easter as, as an event, as, as a moment, as a holiday, as a celebration, because we can have that. We can have that and still have this conversation. Because oftentimes when people get upset with, because, well, I like it. I like the tradition. I like the bonnets. I like the family dinners. I like all of that. I like getting together, Easter eggs, kids, whatever. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not talking about taking away your tradition. But what I do want to do is I want to kind of take and mess around with how your brain is processing this. Now, when we think of Easter, we think of Jesus, King Jesus on the cross, coming back to life triumphantly, and we're all able to go, yay, yay, yay. And for those that dress up and go to church, you're able to also pat yourself on the back going, ah, eternal security. God is happy with us. That sound is me patting myself on the back. 
So that's the idea, right? That we go there to confirm that we're going to where we want to make sure we're going and kind of going, hey, God, look, I'm dressed up. I put money in the pot. I'm going there, right? <laughs> this is part of the whole eternal security anxiety that tends to happen because we feel like we have to continue to perform. Now, my point behind all of this, because I'm moving a little bit fast here, I want to be going through what happened in the Bible after Easter. What happened after and we're going to be centering a lot of our discussion today around John chapter 20. And without further ado, let's just go ahead and just hop in with John chapter 20. Uh, it starts like this. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they had taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So I don't want to get into the sneaky slyness that we've kind of got. The disciple that Jesus loved. Oh, John, you cad. Go ahead and write yourself in like that. Mwah. No, <laughs> but it is true. John's going to brag on himself a little bit there. So let me continue. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Well done, John. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, first again, also went inside, and he saw and believed. And they did not, they still did not understand the scripture uh, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, first of all, so much that we know, so much, so much of Scripture, so much of even culture surrounding the narrative of the Bible was very deeply entrenched in the idea of oral tradition and telling stories here. Uh, so in this story, as we're kind of recounting what's happening, um, we're beginning to see here that the disciples, where their frame of mind was, Jesus died. They didn't know what was going to happen next. Okay, so Mary Magdalene, first on the scene, sees it, goes and tells two of the disciples. They have to run because apparently they didn't believe her. They walk around doing kind of the, yeah, Scooby and Shaggy thing, going, uh -huh. he's gone? What's happening? I don't know. How could this happen? Mary's like, well, that's what I told you. That's what I told you. And then apparently the disciples are just like, oh, well, let's go back home. <laughs> So they leave Mary, and they go back to where they're staying. Now, 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 uh, here's where it gets interesting. And here's where I like to watch the turn happen in the story. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying, assumingly that Mary has stayed here, right? So as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And then he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking it was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So up until this point in the story, recounting what's happening and also john giving a lot of winks here in the scripture winks to himself <laughs> but also even winks here to where mary is assuming that jesus is the gardener he's in the garden kind of like a second adam wink 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 mm. kind of what's going on here through the author too and then something changes we don't know what it is but i love the way scripture just kind of moves forward in, chapter six, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. At least that's what they tell you this. It does mean teacher in the scripture here, but it means something much more than teacher. It means like the great one, the great teacher. It's not just simply like your Sunday school teacher, your geography teacher. No, you're like, oh my gosh, the great one, the teacher. But I love at the sound of, of Jesus' voice, she is able to hear it. 
and know that it is Jesus. And when I was trying to think about the power of, of Easter, I, I, I begin to think about the power of story and, and how story has an, an, an incredible ability to be able to tell us deeper truths than, than simply just explaining it to us. And in this place, in this place, in, where we are talking about story, I think one of the biggest things that we miss about Easter, I think one of the biggest things we miss about the gospel is that the resurrection just marks a large change in the way the kingdom of God is moving. Because we see really up until this point, up until Jesus' death, that was very much focused all around Jesus. It's very Jesus-centric. Jesus walks around. Jesus preaches. The disciples follow him. The disciples do what he tells them to do. That kind of stuff, right? So it's very Jesus-centric. And then we get to this point where Jesus is not. There's a break. They watch him die. They think it's done. But then Jesus comes back. And, and I think that one of the things that we have to remember from this moving forward with, with the beauty of the story of Easter is that Jesus' story continues on through us. And I don't mean this like in a cheesy way of going like, you, you go retell the gospel. Go tell the gospel. Go tell it. No. I think that really what's happening here is that we're being reframed through Scripture to be able to tell us to go be the gospel. Go live out the gospel. Jesus taught the disciples and others around him what it what the kingdom of God looked like, what it sounded like, what it felt like, what it tasted like, what, what it was like to be near the kingdom of God. We're all had value. We're all had merit. And, and moving forward from that point, what we begin to see here is this transition from the onus <laughs> being on Jesus <laughs> to moving towards us. It'll end up in the ascension where Jesus is like, hey, peace out. It's on you guys. And the disciples are like, what? What are we talking about? Let's just wait for him to come back because that's a lot less work. No. But in my life, in my life, and, I, and I've been a person that has, I've worked for an evangelistic organization. I know all about evangelism. I know about trying to get people to pray the prayer and all that stuff. And I've come to really understand that the words of the gospel don't always need to make sense. But the thing that means the most, the thing that really should walk out of the grave, that should walk for us onto Easter Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and for the rest of the friggin' year, is the fact that we are called to be Jesus. We are called to be Jesus to those that need a Jesus-like character to show up in their lives, to help them, to tell them they have value, that they have dignity, that they are worthy of love, that God loves them where they are at. We are called to be, like, for lack of a better term, almost avatars for God. Now, I'm not kind of saying, like, God's in our brain and, like, we're checking out. No, no, I'm starting to say as we are, or as the kind of, uh, what is it, the, uh, the wild bill from <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, worst example ever, but kind of, you know, it puts the lotion on the skin. Kind of a thing where we had this creepy guy trying to build a skin suit. Total, total aside, I just ruined my beautiful metaphor here. But the idea that we want to be... We want to be versions of Jesus. We want to be like Jesus with skin on to people uh, around us. And if people aren't smelling the fragrance of God on us or are not able to kind of feel the presence of God around us, we're probably living a very selfish life. And I feel like the way that we do in the Western American sense of the word, we do Easter from a very selfish perspective. It's a very selfish inward perspective that really just says it's about me, 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 me. But his name isn't Jeez me. No, it's Jeez us. Ho, 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 Jeez us. That was really stupid. But what, I re what I'm really trying to get to is this. The times in my life I've experienced Jesus. The times I have profoundly experienced God. Some of the times it's been stuff that I can't completely explain. And I'll, I'll explain some of those. But most of the time, it's been when I've had humans show up and be that kind of a savior for me in the moment that made everything, that made all the difference. 
So for me, when I come to Easter, I want to celebrate those people that have been Jesus to me. And I want to talk about those people that have been Jesus to other people. And, and I think that we should be all about, I mean, we did this way, way, way back on the show uh, when I had uh, Professor Ben, this is years back, but we, we were doing snarky saints, talking about people that should be saints. And in this essence, Easter should call us all to go and be saints by just being able to show up and be the humans that others need. Now, in that, I'm going to share with you guys a bunch of examples for me, for my life, where people showed up and made a huge difference, and my life was profoundly altered and changed for it. Now, there's many more that are on this list, but I'm going to try to keep it as, as brief as possible because I also don't want this to be about my stories. I want this to also be about others that have been like Jesus. And we're going to talk about some new snarky saints as well. One in particular, that on this Easter, I think that we should return to having that practice of being able to see who's being Jesus. Now, not doing this like in, in a bragging way. I mean, being saying that like, wow, this person is making a difference in people's lives and it's a beautiful thing. Easter is a beautiful time and our stories should be beautiful things. And in these times of, of remembrance or festival or holiday, it brings us back to those things that are kind of the brass tacks of what we should be all about. So here's, I'm going to tell you some stories. We're going to have, we're going to have a lot of story time today. Uh, hopefully that you are up for that. So I want to talk about some of the times where I feel like people have shown up in my life and been Jesus to me when I needed them to be. Uh, one of the first people I can probably remember that, that was had a really profound effect on me was, uh, and, and, and oddly, like small, small amounts, would be probably my grandfather. And my grandfather was a very, <laughs> kind of a black and white type of guy. He was a chemical engineer who did, <laughs> honestly, he, like, I think accounting was one of his hobbies also. <laughs> it's so that kind of a guy, very analytical, uh, a man that, that raised three daughters and never seemed to be able to understand any of them. And I've spoken at nauseam on this show of my interesting and dysfunctional upbringing. But in my weird and dysfunctional upbringing, my grandfather was, was one of those bright lights that was, that was kind of always there for me in, in weird and small ways. Now, he would eventually pass away when I was about 13 or 14, and it left a hole in my life that was very profound. But one of the things I think it was, was what we both meant to each other in these moments. So for him, I think I was the first, I was the first grandchild that was a boy and not like he was like a football player guy. I think he just wanted to have a little bit of just maleness to talk to because I think he had been drowned out for so many years. And, and for me, he was seen to be the first person that ever wanted to listen to me. Like actually like listen to me. And I remember, like, this would even, and it may have been, like, because I'm not sure, but maybe he did not know how to handle children or not. But I remember going and, and we, 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 because we, he lived, he lived several states away from us. But when they would visit, he made it a habit of taking me out to eat. And he liked McDonald's, partially because I think he was also cheap and the accounting thing into it. And, uh, but he also knew he had a kid, so a kid would always love McDonald's. So we would always just go, and he would sit me down, and we would eat hamburgers, but he would just, like, he would almost like quiz me like an adult talking to me, like wanting to know what was going on with my life. Like, what have you been up to? How are you? I mean, it, but it was, it was, it was, it, it was an odd thing, but it was someone that actually wanted to, to peg me down on what was going on in my life, but actually wanted to listen. And for the longest time in my life, he was the only person that had ever really fully treated me like that. Another Jesus to me, I remember was when I was, I'm going to say middle elementary years. I had moved to a new state. Uh, my, pa my parents had uprooted moved from Kentucky back to Atlanta, Georgia. I was born in Atlanta, but I moved before I was too old, so I didn't really remember anything. So we moved back. We're in this new community, and I am a fairly shy kid at this time. And so my parents decided to go to a large church and just shove me into a Sunday school class. I've not really been around a lot of this a lot of this particular type of Southern Baptist culture up until this point. 
And I am just kind of a deer in the headlights, not understanding anything that's happening. And this older lady, it's kind of one of those older ladies that's kind of the backbone of the church in a good way. There's always those older ladies that are backbone of the church, and they get stuff done, but there's always a cost to it. It's not necessarily in a good way, but this, Catherine Warren, somehow, I don't know what it was, but she took me under her wing and was my Sunday school teacher for a year. But every year from that, I think we were in the church, that church for at least 10 years beyond that, she would always check in on me personally every time I was there on a Sunday. And she would reach out to me. She would send me letters on my birthday. She was one of the few people early in my life that, that made me feel Jesus inside the church. She seemed to love me for no good reason. I was just a dumb little third or fourth grader that she just kept up with. And she was a kind voice. She was a loving voice. And she was a voice that made me feel at home in a place that didn't always make me feel at home. Another voice um, I, I was going to bring up was uh, my friend Tom. Tom is, is an interesting fellow. He is one of the more selfless people that I have ever met. And he was one of those people that, that showed up in my life in a time that was very difficult. And I needed somebody to be better than how everybody else was being. Um, Tom and I have many stories, but I remember one of the first times when Tom and I had bonded, uh, I was, Tom was a backcountry guide and I was going through backcountry guide training, uh, for the ministry that we'd worked with. And through, we'd kind of gotten to know each other a lot, uh, through a lot through like the months of some of the training we'd done. And now we'd moved on towards doing snow travel. So we are wanting to travel and hopefully summiting, uh, Mount David in Washington State. So we are with a group of people. These are just all, all like volunteers, no kids in this, in this thing, but these are all just volunteers that are, that are being trained or staff that are training us. And so we kind of moved up beyond the tree line. Now we're getting towards where it's snow and the snow's getting deeper. We're hiking across this. We have many, many miles to go before we pitch camp. Now, I do not love snow. I do not like marching, hiking, walking through snow. This is not my greatest day. And so they had said, okay, so it was Stuart's time to be able to try to lead. So as we're going through certain areas we're not sure about, you're stepping forward, you're kind of poking the ground, trying to see how solid is certain areas we're, we're passing through. So I walk through, poke, 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 and as I poke through, I fall through the ice and the snow. And I don't fall far. I don't fall far. I'm not hurt. But I fall into and underwater, or at least under the snow, was a, was a large stream that was moving by that had kind of hollowed out under the snow. And I'm fine. And everyone's like running around, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, because I was so angry because I knew that I'd essentially just fallen into a ton of water. Uh, I was soaked. And it was about noon. And I knew that we weren't going to break camp until about five. So I climbed back out. Everything's well. And everyone's like, all right, well, Stuart, the best way. It's a great way. This is a good learning lesson as we're uh, traveling through the snow. So one of the best ways for you to be able to warm up when you're wet is just to keep hiking. So I was like, sweet, awesome. And so we continue to hike. I continue to get tired, more and more tired. And we continue to hike, and I continue to slow down because my body is cold. I'm kind of shaken. I'm just, and it's just, it's gross. Like, it's just like, if you're in those situations where like all of your energy is just gone and you are just pulling bags of bones as you go, I'm with other colleagues that I'm with. I'm slightly embarrassed and I'm being slower and slower. And what ends up happening is, is Tom, one of, one of our guides, uh, just says, hey, you guys just, just move ahead. And he just hangs back with me. And he, and he tells me, he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're going to get there tonight. He's like, I'll just walk as slow as you need to walk. And we just spent like the next three or four hours just talking. And Tom shares about his life and I share about mine and we just bonded in that story. And it was one of those times that I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And he was just there. And he was simply just a friend that was there for me. There wasn't a miracle. This wasn't anything beautiful or anything else like that. It was just a person being there when I needed them the most. Another individual, which, which, which will be on the show in the next couple of weeks, not trying to hype him too much, but one of my dear friends, Joel Varner. 
And Joel was a person that helped me stay sane when I was working in a very, very uh, unhealthy megachurch. Um, I'd gotten hired on for a large megachurch. I think I've talked about this one here before. Uh, without them telling me that there had been a whole string of youth pastors, uh, essentially kind of a youth pastor a year for the several years until they had hired me. <laughs> so I did not know their track record of chewing them up and spitting them out. And it was definitely a place that was very, very large church, very oppressive, did not care about staff, just cared about the bottom line, and was just wrong on so many levels. And being able to have, being able to have a, what we referred to ourselves as like cellmate in prison. Joel, Joel was, well, I was, I was like the high school pastor, Joel was a middle school pastor. And because of that friendship, I stayed sane. Because of that friendship, I was able to see Jesus and continue to move forward and continue to stay in ministry. Uh, Joel was one of those people that has taught me so much about what it means to be a friend and just a good human being to someone that needs a good human being to show up. And I mentioned all these places where people had showed up for me. Um, because that, in my mind, is the legacy of the gospel. It's people, ordinary people, showing up to be Jesus to those that need a savior, that need a friend, that need a kind voice, that need a helping hand. Because there are those situations. There are those situations where God shows up. And it's unexplainable. But most of the time in life, I've had situations where somebody shows up at just the moment that I need them to. So, so as we stand here kind of in the shadow, looking back at Easter, who's been Jesus to you? Because a lot of times in the Old Testament, we have these festivals to be able to remember what mattered. To be able to remember where we've been through, what we've come through, who we are, and who we were. These festivals were meant to remind us that we are better than we were before, and we're moving in a trajectory, hopefully, towards even getting better. That tomorrow is better than today. So for you, Ponder that. Who, is, who has shown up and been Jesus to you? Because I feel like too often do we let those people, do we let those stories easily get forgotten? Because we can easily get caught up in these religious mega narratives of what's happening. Easter, King Jesus. No. What about everyday Jesus? What about everyday Jesus that happens to show up? Because that's the Jesus. That's the Jesus that matters to us. That's the Jesus that gets us through and on to another day. Now, I started off the show quoting Rachel Held Evans. And I'm going to read to you guys. We're going to have a little bit of story time today on the show, if you're cool with that. Uh, if you're not, it's a podcast, so I'm just going to keep talking one way or the other. But <laughs> I've mentioned this book before, and I love this book. Uh, it's a book called... Holy Troublemakers and Inconvenient Saints by Danine Akers. And I got this book a while back, and it's mainly written towards children. Now, I'm not trying to say this is like a, a preschool or pre-K type of a book, but it's, you know, made for probably upper elementary, middle school kids. And it's simply just a, a wonderful... It's, I feel like it's like a wonderful trove of stories about people that have been holy troublemakers and unconventional saints. People have walked out, who have walked out the ways of Jesus in profound ways that we need to continue to remember. Because we don't continue to remember the other stories. I mean, we all, I mean, if you've been around Christianity for at least a couple of years, you should know Easter, right? And I don't know that every year we need to go back and continue to rehash Easter because I think we need to continue to rehash what's God been doing since then? What's God up to now? Who is God moving through? And who is walking out Jesus? Mentioning that, 
brings us to story time. We're going to learn about Rachel Held Evans and how she walked out the ways of Jesus in beautiful and unconventional ways. On a hot summer night in 1991, a 10-year-old girl lies in bed trying to get to sleep. Everyone else in the house is already sleeping. But for young Rachel Held Evans, nighttime is often miserable. She's a skin allergy called eczema, which means she often has red patches of itchy skin on her body. And at night, with nothing else to distract her, the itching and stinging feels so intense she can't relax or fall asleep. Often her eczema sores ooze drops of blood, making her skin even more uncomfortable. Her bed sheets are a mess. Daytime brings its own challenges. Rachel feels different than the other kids. Often she can't participate in PE due to her rashes. The ones on her back, on the backs of her knees especially, bother her when she gets sweaty. But nighttime is the worst. Some nights, her parents make her take a bath in vinegar because the doctors say it's supposed to help. But Rachel is left with an overwhelming smell of vinegar all over her body that turns her stomach. Hey, sweetie, Rachel's dad gently calls as he opens her bedroom door. I got up. I heard you were still awake. Are you okay? Rachel melts into tears as her father comes over and kneels beside her bed. He strokes her cheek and her hair. I hate this smell, she says through her tears. And the vinegar didn't even help. It still hurts everywhere. Her father sighs and holds her while she cries. I'm so sorry, honey. Dad, why did Jesus let this happen to me? There it was. That was a big question that had been turning over and over in Rachel's mind at night as her body itched, burned, and refused to fall asleep. As her body ached, her mind wrestled with the basic idea of how a good God could let this happen to a small child. Rachel grew up in Alabama and Tennessee in the Bible Belt of the United States. This nickname often refers to the many churches in the region and the fact that most people identify as Christian. Rachel's parents taught her that God loved her and cared about her. Everything about God was good, but Rachel had been struggling to reconcile the idea of a good and loving God with her daily pain and misery. If God was so powerful and so good, why did she have such terrible eczema? Rachel, I don't know, her dad said, but I do know that God loves you. This answer stunned Rachel. Her father didn't know? Rachel thought her dad knew everything there was to know about God. Rachel's father was a pastor and a religious teacher. He'd studied for many years at seminary, a school where people study ideas about God, learning the languages that the Bible was originally written in, and trained to be pastors and religion teachers. Looking back on this night, when she was 10 years old and struggling both with her physical pain and her complicated ideas about God, Rachel later saw her father's answer as a beautiful gift. He helped her learn that it's okay to question God. It's okay to say, I don't know. Rachel became well known for her questions about God and faith. Her first book chronicled her journey to learn about science and evolution. She grew up in the towns where the famous Scopes Monkey Trial happened in 1925. And figuring out if she could have a faith while trusting scientific knowledge was a challenge for her. Rachel studied and read widely about theology, ideas about God, yet she still had plenty of questions. One of her favorite Bible stories was the one about Jacob wrestling in the night with a stranger who later turned out to be God. It's okay to wrestle with God, she said. God is truly okay with that. Rachel wrote numerous magazine articles, blog posts, in addition to four books talking honestly about her faith, especially questions about God that she didn't have easy answers for. My dad taught me that night that I don't have to have God all figured out to have a relationship with God. You can wrestle with the divine, she said. At the same time, my dad also gave me a solid foundation with which to wrestle. What he did know for sure was that God loves me. 
Rachel's honest writing about her own doubts and questions have become beacons of light for many others who find themselves with the same questions, often late in the night when the rest of the household is quiet and still. People find Rachel's writings full of honest insights regardless of where they live. Reading her words makes them feel less alone. Rachel was able to be a comforting presence to others, just like her father was to her that night when he came into her room to check on her. Because of him, Rachel boldly said, I don't know all the answers. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be angry even. But I do know that the essence of the divine is love. In the midst of your questions, you are fully loved right now just as you are. Rachel also spoke up about the unfair policies in the church. Above her writing desk, she kept a small sign on which she had written, tell the truth. She knew that the truth held power. And as the Christian scriptures say, the truth will set you free, John 8, 32. But Rachel also knew that speaking and writing the truth often upset powerful people. She kept on telling the truth anyway. And she kept on assuring people that no matter what pastors and the church officials might say, God always loves each and every person. Rachel was especially passionate when people were being treated in the way that she knew didn't measure up to the life and teachings of Jesus. She became a vocal advocate for full inclusion of the LGBTQ people in the church, as well as for women who serve in senior positions in the church, despite the protests of more conservative voices who thought only men could have authority in the church. She also publicly reminded Christian leaders that Jesus always would have chosen to go home to dinner with the very people the church was forgetting or rejecting. Rachel's vision of church included everyone. This is what God's kingdom is like, a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry and because they said yes. There is always room for more. In May of 2019, Rachel died unexpectedly after a short illness. She was only 37 years old with a husband and two young children. Shock and grief spread quickly. Rachel's words had given life and hope and meaning to so many people. People from all over the world wrote tributes and remembrances of her. They told stories of how Rachel's words inspired them. Women told of going into ministry because of Rachel. LGBTQ people said they finally realized that they were fully loved by the divine because of Rachel. And all kinds of people say they found their way back to a relationship with God because of her work. In an interview for this book, Rachel talked about loving the mothering metaphors for God found throughout the Bible. They became especially meaningful to her after she became a mother herself. She particularly loved the image of God, the mother hen, gathering her chicks under her wings in Matthew 23, 37. Now Rachel is gathered up in the great mystery of the beyond, somehow gathered under God's soft, warm wings. And those of us still on this side of that great mystery have her words and witness to continue to guide us. So this is where I kind of wanted to leave us in this show. As we walk beyond Easter, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, as we walk beyond Easter, I want us to be celebrating those that continue to walk out the ways of Jesus. Because it's not simply just about remembering one person like 2,000 years ago, there's a mold that continues to march forward. It's a mold and a mantle that we are called to be able to carry with us as we move out into this world. And we see that through people like Rachel Held Evans. Because it's not simply just about everyone fixating on Jesus. No, it's about fixating on how to be Jesus where you are at. If, if we are so, so, so far away from realizing that the call of the gospel was a call to action, was a call to work, was a call to love, was a call to go, was a call to heal, was a call to reach out to others that need Jesus. 
or someone like Jesus in their life. I mean, even the title, which has been twisted and become very sick and weird, especially where we stand in 2021, the word Christian is originally meant just to translate as little Jesuses, like a little Christ. Are we being little Jesus out into the world? Are we being able to walk out Jesus in truthful, authentic ways that literally help people? Because Easter's not about going and singing at church. Easter's not about dressing up. Easter's not about any of this junk. No, no, no. It's simply about who you are and what you're walking out. Are you good news to those around you? When people see you, do they say, oh, I love being around that person. I, it just feels like healing having conversations with her. Oh, he is just a peaceful presence in my life. They are an amazing person that walks alongside me and listens to me. Because that is really everything that Easter is thrusting forward upon us. If we do not walk this out, what are we doing anyways? We're just playing church. And you know what? We have way too much cosplay happening every Sunday. So much that it's not even fun anymore. Come on. They only do like Comic-Con like once a year, like the main one. But we do church, our Christian cosplay, week after week, and continue to assume that just hanging out in a church building is going to make us Christians. No. What, is, what makes us Christians? Praying your prayer? No. It's in the name. It's being a little version of Christ to people out in your community, being the good news, being hope, being love. That's what it means. So before I fully tell you adieu on this show, I will leave you with a few more words from Rachel Held Evans. Someone that we need to hold up and recognize that person was a good and faithful servant. That person walked out their faith well and helped others because of it. You may not be called to have a platform like that. You may not need to write books. Maybe you do. But you're just called to show up and be that version of Jesus that others need in your own space, in your own communities, in your own walks of life. So before I send you off, I will leave you here with Rachel Held Evans's words from Searching for Sunday. She said this, 2,000 years later, John's call remains a wilderness call, a cry from the margins. Because we religious types are really good at building walls and retreating to temples. We're good at making mountains out of our ideologies, obstructions out of our theologies, and hills out of our screwed up notion of who's in and who's out, who's worthy and who's unworthy. We're good at getting in the way. Perhaps we're afraid that if we move, God might use people and methods we don't approve of that the rules will be broken and ideologies questioned. Perhaps we're afraid that if we get out of the way, this grace thing might actually get out of hand. Well, guess what? It already has. Grace got out of hand the moment the God of the universe hung on a Roman cross with outstretched hands and looked out upon those who hung him there and declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Thank you so much for being a part of this show this hour. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share this show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out to new listeners. And if you want to reach out to me directly, hit me up at questions at snarkyfaith.com. Anytime. I'll answer them. But thank you for being a part of this show week after week. I appreciate you all. As I release you into the wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. I'm out of here. Catch you guys next time. Peace. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations and communities together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church 
and to each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're a leader of a community of faith, Faith Street should be an app that you definitely check out. Snarky Faith listeners receive 20% off. So all you need to do is go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky. That's F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky. So hey there, boys and girls. Who stayed after class to be able to hear more crazy? What? Yes. And all I'm going to give you today is this. It's not even really new Christian crazy. This is a time, this is a time of remembrance. Because a year ago today, a year ago today, COVID was cured by a simple blow. Let us never forget. COVID-19! COVID-19! I blow the wind of God on you. You are destroyed forever. You are destroyed forever. And you will never be back. And you will never be back. Thank you, our God. Thank you, our God. Let it happen. Let it happen. Cause it to happen. Cause it to happen. 